Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's my pleasure to be able to stand up in front of you guys and give you the message, the word of the Lord today. I'm so thankful that God has brought us all here together. And I want to welcome everybody from SoundCloud coming all over the world. I regard you as as the people that are in my own family, in my own home. So bless you and bless all of you guys as well too today. Thank you for coming and thank you for joining us. God is so good, and He gives me the words every week as I, I open up the Bible and I start reading and I go to focus on the Scriptures and see what God has to tell me. And, and right away, I always don't have what I'm supposed to say. But then God is faithful, and He gives me the words, and then I come up here. And, and it's all about Jesus at this church. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's what He did for us. I don't glorify myself, and I don't glorify any man because we're just man, sinful man. But I do glorify Jesus Christ because of we just had communion, and it's, he's the one that made the way. We just have to respond to, the, to, you know, to what he did for us to make the way. So we're going to pray, and I'll give you the title, and I'll give you the section of Scripture we're going to be in. You guys can listen along or open up or turn as I go and whatever you'd like to do. So uh, just join me in a word of prayer for service, and uh, let's see what the Lord has to say to us today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your words, Lord God. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank, thank you for your love. For Lord, without your love, where would we be? Without your grace, where would we be? We'd all be doomed. We'd all be condemned forever, Lord God. We'd all be lost with no chance of finding salvation, with no chance of having new life, with no chances at all. We'd just all be lost. And so thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, dear God, that came and suffered greatly and died as a, as a, in, in our place, Lord, on the cross, the death that we all deserved because we're all sinners and paid the penalty that we all deserved. So I thank you, Lord God. And I just pray we keep our minds and our hearts fixed on you this morning as we listen to your word and, and listen to how you want us to respond and even look at how you treated your, you know, your fellow people when you lived, Lord, and just things of Scripture. Lord, I pray you'd clear our minds. Help us, Lord, to focus on you this morning. Help us to focus on the Scriptures and everything that you have to tell us today. And Lord, I love you and I praise you. And I ask all these mighty things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, verses 6 through 13. And the title of our sermon today is, Must Elijah Come First? Must Elijah Come First? Matthew chapter 17, verses 6 through 13. So I'm going to read them and then I'll get the, we'll study them. The Bible says in Matthew 17, 6. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Heard what God had just spoken to them from the cloud. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Wow. So, last week we had our sermon, and the title of the sermon was Hear Him. And that would be Matthew 17, verse 5. God speaks from the cloud. While he was still speaking, behold, a a great... A bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. So if we remember correctly, if you were here with us last week, if you weren't, God literally said, we focus most of our sermon on the fact that God literally said, Hear my Son. It's not about listening to me anymore. It's not about listening to my words. It's, I know I had that Old Testament and I had my words, but it's, it's really, it's about now, it's about hearing my son. Because we talked about God could have said anything from that cloud. He could have said, here I am, hear me. Hear me, here I am. This is, this is what I have to say to you. But instead, he came 
everything was about Jesus, he said, hear him. And I don't know about you, but that is a very powerful word from God. I mean, we're talking about God Almighty here. We're not just talking about a prophet. We're not talking about another man. We're talking about this is what God Almighty said, hear him. It was so powerful this week. I kind of was doubting myself almost. I said to myself, you know, did I really, did I really, you know, preach that right? You know, did I really, did, did God really say hear him? And, and what's the focus now it's supposed to be from God? And he's putting it on man, you know, putting it on his son, hear him. And it's really all about Jesus. So I thought, you know, boy, I sure would be foolish, but I better go to the scriptures and find out if that's really what the rest of the scripture says. If, if we find other things in scripture that teach us that, that tell us that same thing. And, and ironically, this is what I came across. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. What did Paul just say? Look at my life, yes, but only look at my life because guess what? I'm imitating the Savior. I'm imitating Christ. He also writes in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and you'll see the focus here. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And what did God say from the cloud last week that we read? Hear my son. So really, God's saying, if you want to follow me, imitate my son, Jesus Christ. And it goes on, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I think it's pretty clear, you know, that what God was saying, God was saying, hear my son. And that's just so powerful to me. And so the way I look at it is, in case you don't know, you know, the word Christian means little Christ or follower of Christ. So really what hear him means is the, the Christians, a real Christian's life should really resemble the life of Jesus Christ. And yes, don't think it's bad or don't think it's, you know, oh no, you know, what about God or oh no, this, that, anything. God really commanded you, if you want to be a Christian, if you really love God, if you really want to follow him, God really did command us to now hear his son, to hear Jesus and obey his teachings per his command. So I just wanted to, you know, God showed me a new perspective of that and I didn't really cover it last week and it was just just felt that was on my heart to share, you know, just as a you know, short recap. I always recap last week's message a little bit right before I start on this week. So here we are, this week. And the title, again, Must Elijah Come First? Either this week. So we ended last week, like I just said, with God speaking this very powerful message from the cloud. He spoke, speaks from the cloud, says, hear my son. Now, we weren't there. You know, we can read it and, you know, we can look it over and we can keep reading it and everything. And, but there's, there's really power there with what happened. We weren't there, but the disciples, Peter, James, and John, remember, they were there. And so what was their response? I look at those types of things. What was their response when they heard God's voice from heaven? And I read it over, but I kind of go through the scriptures one by one again. Verse 6. And when the disciples heard it... What? Again, God's voice, God's powerful voice from the cloud. They fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. So notice when God speaks, they were greatly afraid. But when Jesus speaks to them, they're not so afraid. This response to God's voice was really not all that uncommon. All throughout the Bible, actually, we find places where when God speaks, kind of men run. If you remember correctly, I quoted this verse last week, but then I'll give you the because. Uh, God says, in, or Moses, or God, they say in Deuteronomy 18:15, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brother, and him you shall hear. And we talked about that last week as in, as far as, you know, Moses even said this, that, you know, God saying here Jesus was a fulfillment of this prophecy in Deuteronomy 18:15. But in the context of this paragraph and this little couple verses here in Deuteronomy 18:16. God said to Moses, they'll hear this other prophet, but there's a because, because verse, six, verse 16, according to all that you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. You see, Moses and all the children of Israel were gathered together around Mount Horeb when God was kind of giving the, the Ten Commandments and kind of telling people what he expected of them 
back in the, you know, back in the day, a few thousand years ago. The people, as they saw the mountain smoke, as they saw the fire from heaven, as they heard God's great and mighty voice, what happened? They got scared. And they came to Moses and said, Moses, let us not hear God's voice anymore. Let God speak to you, and then you come and we'll listen to you. That's how fearful they were of just hearing God's voice from the mountain. Now, I think of it and I go, wow, I'd love to hear God's voice. But then again, I don't know what God's real booming voice sounds like. I mean, you know, these people here are running. Uh, Adam and Eve, after they sinned and they ate the fruit, uh, Genesis 3, 8 through 10, and, and they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Because guess what? They were hiding from the voice of God, just like Peter, James, and John here. If they could have run, they probably would have, but instead they just fell to the ground. Their faces buried in the ground. They couldn't look up. They were afraid of God's voice. So he said, Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, not everybody in the Old Testament, not everybody in the New Testament gets scared when they hear God's voice. You know, we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, and we, we see that there's a little bit of sin issue there. You know, whenever there was maybe some sin in the people's lives, and that's kind of when they hid. Adam and Eve, the, the people in the wilderness, you know, the Jews, they were kind of, you know, somewhat rebellious against God. So not everybody hid from God's voice. Not everybody got scared, just, you know, just some. And I'm not saying that Peter and James and John were in sin, but they were certainly, you know, that Peter stood up and, you know, kind of, he sees Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and he kind of speaks out of turn. And, you know, this could kind of be very convicting. Why did I speak? I'm sure he might have said to himself afterwards. But let's just say that hearing God's voice could have been and probably was most likely for a lot of people very scary. It was very booming, very loud, very powerful. So these guys hear God's voice here. And what happens again? They fall down on their faces in fear. But they weren't down there for long because of verse 7. But when Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. What happened here? God's kindness showed up. God's love and God's grace showed up. Titus 3, 3-5, three through five, Paul writes again, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. God's kindness here in verse 7 comes to Peter, James, and John in the form of Jesus Christ, and He touches them, and they raise up, and they look up. And I just think that that's incredible news. I just think that's incredible news because people got scared of God's voice, but then Jesus Christ shows up, he touches them, and they, they raise up like, oh, wow, and they were no longer afraid. How loving and kind was Jesus Christ toward mankind? Well, Jesus said it with his own mouth. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Notice he said, come to me, all you who are weary weary and burned. He didn't discriminate. Jesus loved everybody, still loves everybody. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Isaiah 9, 6, in the prophecy of the coming Messiah, God speaks about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. This was God's kindness. Jesus Christ was God's grace poured out upon all mankind. Uh, God, in, in, in doing all this, showed me something, and I, I just wanted to share it to you. And this picture has impacted me greatly in my life with Christ, and I just want to pass it around to you guys. And it's a picture, and as you'll see, it's a picture of what we saw here. It's a picture of Matthew, what did I just say? That was Matthew 11. And it's a picture of what happened with Peter, James, and John here. And I'm going to pass it around to you. I'm going to hold it up, and then I want to pass it around. But if you can see, and I'm going to describe it to you guys on SoundCloud. This is a very famous picture, and I can't remember the name of it. And foolish me, I could have got the name, but I didn't. Uh, but it's Jesus Christ. What you see there, the, the nail holes in his hands. And you see here at the bottom, there's blood running from under him. And what's he doing? He's holding up the weak and where he's sitting. And that's us. 
And I'm going to pass it around. I just want you guys to look at it. And that's what we see here. We see Jesus coming to Peter, James, and John, and he touches them. And his grace was there for them. Even though they might have been sinning a little bit, his grace was there for them. And he touches them, and they just raise up, and they're like, wow, it's okay. And that's Jesus. It's okay in Jesus. That's exactly what we see here. Jesus gives these guys grace. The Bible says, and it's a very well, I love the saying, Jesus is the sinner's Savior. Jesus said, I did not come for the righteous, but I came to bring sinners to repentance. See, if you're righteous in your own eyes, and you're just, oh, I'm okay, well then, Jesus didn't necessarily come for you because you don't realize you have a problem. But if you realize you have a problem, and you come to Him, and you rest in His arms, just like that man in that portrait right there, He'll touch you too, and He'll be your Savior, because we're all sinners. Now, did G, uh, Peter, James, and John find Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 and Titus 3, 3 through 5 to be true of Christ? Let's read verse 8. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. It's easy to see that they stopped being afraid of God and they started falling in love with Christ. Christ brought them peace when God spoke, they fell down. They wouldn't even look up for fear. When Jesus Christ touched them, they looked up and they were no longer afraid. But looking up is not the only, uh, is not all the kindness of God showing up caused them to do. Read verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, notice that, that they not only lifted their heads up and they were no longer afraid, but what did they do? They were so recovered that they, were, they just got up and they just started walking down the mountain with Jesus. They relaxed and they calmed down and they walked down the mountain with Jesus like it was just, okay, we're moving on. You know, God showed me in this. And in the Bible, we read about this all over. The touch of Jesus Christ. When He comes and when He touches us, when we seek His face and He reaches out and He touches us, he brought healing. He brought forgiveness of sins. He brought peace to people's lives. He brought love and he brought acceptance. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, I mean, just amazing that we see in the touch of the Savior versus the voice of the booming, powerful, and sometimes scary voice of God. So that's just one of the reasons why I think that God passed the mantle is because in the Old Testament, a lot of people were afraid of God. And for, you know, for good reason. He was still a God of love, but for good reason. He, when he came, he was, a, he was more of the judge. He was more of the, the righteous, powerful judge that, you know, I mean, just threw it down. And, you know, God, and a lot of times he executed judgment, and it wasn't very nice. But then again, if you turn to him, he would still be loving to you. But in Christ, we see the love of God exemplified. And it's just amazing that God said, hear him, and I'm passing a torch. And now here, everybody's welcome. Now, this is really how I was all along, but really here, everybody's welcome. Come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. The rest of verse 9, they came down from the mount. What else? Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So we switch gears a little bit toward, you know, we're going to start focusing on Elijah. So they're going down the mountain. Jesus tells them on the way down, keep quiet. Hey, don't tell anybody. And that included, anybody would be anybody. That included the disciples. Jesus said, don't tell anybody what you just saw. Why did he say that? I mean, why would Jesus say, I mean, if I were Jesus, I'd want everybody to know what these guys just saw. Because, I mean, that would, you know, draw people to me or, you know, that would help people know that, yes, I'm really God in the flesh and so on and so forth. But he said, don't. And why? Well, unfortunately... You know, it's dangerous. We cannot comment when the Bible keeps silent. And the Bible doesn't say. Does, Jesus never says why that they should keep quiet. Now, there's a couple possible, maybe, possibilities here. 
One, maybe he didn't want you know, those guys to make the other disciples jealous. And if you look across the disciples when they're interaction with one another, they were often jealous of one another. There was a time when James and John were arguing and then they were arguing amongst themselves, you know, which one's going to be the greatest and, you know, in the kingdom of God. And Jesus turns around and he said, what are you guys doing? You're arguing about who's going to be greatest. You're my disciples. You know, what's wrong with you? So uh, one possibility is, you know, you didn't want to make the other disciples jealous. Just, just saying. A maybe possibility. Because we don't know, and I'm not going to say this, thus saith the Lord. Um, number two, he was, al- he was already very popular. Jesus, everywhere he went, he could barely walk into each town without being mobbed by hundreds and even thousands of people. So another possibility, you know, don't say this because, hey, I'm already popular enough. People are already believing in me. I, I don't want to become any more popular. But nevertheless... We don't know. But I, I'll tell you this one thing. I'll tell you this one thing. When we get to heaven, you can ask him. And I, I know I will definitely ask him, Lord, why did you not want Peter, James, and John to tell everybody what happened? But notice one thing he did here. You know, he says be quiet about this, but notice one thing he did here. He did make a hint in the fact that he was the Messiah again. He reaffirmed the Messiah again. Where do we see it? He referred to himself here. Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Well, that term, Son of Man, was a messianic term. That term in the Bible, as we read throughout the Gospels, is a messianic term. They say, I'm the Messiah. And then again, he had you know, told them earlier, I'm going to go. Chief priests are going to kill me. And then on the third day, I'm going to raise again. So that was something that the Messiah was going to come to do. They didn't believe it at the time, but that's something he was going to come to do. He was going to come and die for the sins of mankind. So he refers to himself again as the Son of Man, and speaking about His raising from the dead, which, again, I'm the Messiah, I am the Christ, I'm God in the flesh, you know, here I am. Now, the disciples didn't comment on this gag order Jesus gives them. They said nothing about, why, why Jesus, why don't you want me to, you know, tell anybody? But because of what they saw and because of what He said, they did come to a stronger realization that He was the Christ, but they were a little confused. You'll see it here in verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So that I'm going to paraphrase it here. Okay, we, we believe that you're the Christ. How could we not? All the things that we've seen, wow. We see, there's no way we can, there's no way around it. We see you're the Christ. But there's, we're having a little struggle here, Jesus. We're having a little struggle. What, our religious leaders, the religious leaders of our day, they're telling us, that this Elijah must come first or before you. So we know, we believe that you're the Messiah, but, but are, are they wrong? Or, or where was Elijah? And, and did he not, why didn't he come first? So you're going to see the confusion and the struggle they have to understand here because Jesus goes through great lengths to kind of you know, correct them and show them these things here. And this topic of Elijah coming before the Christ can get confusing, but I'll show you this as we go on a little bit. Um, So one thing I want to look at before we move on, though. Why did the disciples and the religious leaders of Jesus' day believe that Elijah was supposed to come and return before the Christ came? Why? You know, did they just strike it out of thin air? You know, where did the teaching come from? You know, they were teaching a lot of false things, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. But where did they get this one? Well, precisely, they got this specific idea out of a prophecy that God spoke about the Messiah in Malachi 4, verse 5, where God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And, in case you didn't know, the Messiah was supposed to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he was supposed to come and bring a powerful reign to the earth where he was going to come and reign over all peoples and exalt the Jewish you know, people and so on and so forth. So now here, why were they confused though? And, and, and this here, here's the confusion. Uh, here's, the, here's where the confusion comes in for good reason. The New Testament clearly doesn't say anything about Elijah coming before the Christ, coming before the, you know, Jesus Christ. So the disciples and the religious leaders would have known that. They knew that there was nobody came from heaven or wherever that came that was called Elijah that was a, you know, like a forerunner to Jesus Christ. So they knew that. So do the religious leaders and the disciples of Jesus' day have a point about Jesus not being the Messiah? And you know, FYI, you can go back into the early church writings 
And you could see that early Jews, especially after Jesus Christ died and rose again, early Jews would, you know, early Christians would kind of, you know, they'd walk around, they'd try to convert people. Hey, you talked about Jesus, you know, oh, you know, we don't believe in your Jesus because he wasn't the real Messiah. Well, why don't you believe he was the real Messiah? And any Jew that knew their scripture would say, well, because Elijah didn't come first. There was no Elijah that returned. And the Bible says, or their Tanakh, Old Testament, that'd be the Christian Old Testament, or they would consider it the Tanakh. Uh, which is the Christian Old Testament, and, and Elijah didn't come back. No, that's, Jesus cannot be the Messiah because Elijah did not return. So why didn't Elijah come if Jesus was the real deal? If Jesus was the real Messiah, why did Elijah not come back before he came? Jesus Christ is here claiming to be the Messiah, but Elijah didn't come first, which God said would happen. But according to Jesus here, it, it's all taken care of. Look at verses 11 and 12. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. So Jesus agrees with them there. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. Hmm. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer in their hands. So Jesus just agreed with them and said that, yes, he is going to come back first, but he, is, he has already come. Now, what's going on? Is Jesus, like, off his rocker here? Did he make a misquote? Did he, I mean, what's going on? We read, like I just said, Elijah did not come back before Christ came. Elijah has come, and he says, and will come also again before the Messiah. How is that taken care of? How can that be? Because we, we do not have a recording of it. Where, what, do you see where the disciples were a little confused here? Because if you're reading this, and, and let's say maybe you're not, uh, you know, haven't read the whole Bible yet or anything, if you're listening online, you haven't, well, I don't understand, Pastor. I don't, I don't understand. So let's find out where the confusion lies. Let's, let's find out. Let's, let's look to the scripture here, and I'm going to break down verse 11, and I'm going to go into it. Let's look at verse 11 first. In response to what the disciples said about Elijah coming first, or before the Christ, Jesus says that Elijah will come and will restore all things. And again, he's, of course, referring to that prophecy that we just talked about, Malachi 4, 5. You can do a word search in your concordance. You can do a word search in your Bible, on your blue letter Bible, on your computer. The word Elijah for coming only comes up one time as far as coming. The, Elijah had a good long life and was a great prophet of God. But as far as coming and returning, the word Elijah only comes up once in the whole Old Testament as far as coming. And that's in Malachi 4, 5. And Jesus says here that this will happen. Now, what's up? There's one thing in case you didn't notice. Jesus said it will happen, but notice when Malachi 4, 5 said it was going to happen. I'm going to read the prophecy again and listen to when, Elijah, or when Malachi says that Elijah will come at, the, at this particular time. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Notice that he doesn't say anything but those specific words. He said that Elijah is going to come before the Messiah and he's going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, this is where the confusion came in about 2,000 years ago. When Jesus came about 2,000 years ago, clearly we could see if Christ came almost 2,000 years ago and we're still here to this day, then obviously we didn't have a great and dreadful day of the Lord, did we? So this Messiah, when Jesus Christ came, claimed to be the Messiah, that doesn't ex him yet because when he came, we're still almost 2,000 years in and we still haven't seen the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Instead, we read Jesus say this of himself in Luke 4, 18 and 19. He walks into the synagogue and he sits down. Well, every week, even to this day, in synagogues all over the world, Jews, they elect somebody to read a certain portion of scripture that day. And so they give the scripture, which would be the Tanakh. They don't believe in the Christian New Testament. But they give the Tanakh to somebody in the crowd and they say, here, read this portion. So they give the Tanakh to Jesus in the temple or in the synagogue this day. And he reads this section, Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus reads this prophecy in Isaiah 61, but he points it at himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
So we had in Malachi, we had a great and dreadful day of the Lord. And here in Isaiah, a prophecy about the Messiah. He also said that the Messiah was going to come and proclaim an acceptable year of the Lord. They did not realize, here's where the problem lied, and the great religious leaders of Jesus' day, as well as the disciples, we talked about this in my uh, sermon, Don't Be So Hard on Peter. But the, the, the problem that they did not understand is that the Messiah was going to come not once, but the Messiah was going to come twice. The Messiah was going to come once, as Isaiah 53 foretells us, as a suffering Messiah, as a great healer, as a great redeemer, coming to pour out his life upon, you know, for, for mankind, for the sins of the world. And, you know, as Isaiah 61 says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to offer salvation and kindness and grace of God to every. That was the first time he came that he that he that the, the scriptures foretold that he was going to come. The second time, which is still yet to happen, is where the Christ or Jesus will rule and reign over everything foretold by Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Now I'm not going to go into that in depth here, but if you want more light on that, I really went in depth on that in my sermon, Don't Be So Hard on Peter. But know that there are two comings of the Christ. There weren't just one. There was one to come where he was going to bring peace and salvation to all, and then there's one where he's coming where he's tired of sin. God's going to wipe out the everything, all of creation. He's going to judge man finally and put an end to all sin and all evil on this planet, throw, throw, throw the devil into the lake of fire where he's going to burn with all those that followed him, and everything's going to be all done away with. It's, it's the end of the day. It's the great and terrible day of the Lord that Malachi was talking about. So, of course, everyone thought that the Christ in those days, in Jesus' day, was only going to come once. They thought he was only going to come once to rule and reign over all and destroy all the enemies of, Jew, of the Jews. And they were going to, he was going to exalt the Jews. And the Bible does talk about that, how the Jews will be restored unto God when the Christ comes back the second time. But what a wonderful idea they had. It sure made their flesh feel good, but they just left out the fact of this suffering Messiah. They saw it in Scripture and they just simply ignored it. So according to the coming back of Jesus Christ before the end of the world and Elijah coming before him, the fulfillment of this prophecy in Malachi, we have a recording of that in the book of Revelation, New Testament, which they did not have. So we can see the end of the age as where they really couldn't. It was in their scripture. It was, it was foretold in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and so on and so forth. But, you know, the way they interpreted it and they didn't have the Messiah come, they weren't really clear on it all. But we see it very clearly. In Revelation 11, we read about these two witnesses that come right before the Messiah comes. And they're going to they're gonna stand there and they're going to prophesy and nobody can harm them. And then the devil comes and kills them. Well, the Bible tells us because of Malachi, and that's right before Revelation 14, where we see the Lamb of God coming back with his 144,000. And they're going to stand on the Mount of Zion. And this is right before God's wrath pours upon all mankind and before right before God destroys all of humanity the earth universe and everything it's all going to be wiped out and these witnesses come and we know by this Malachi scripture since this is the end of the world that one of these two will be indeed Elijah now we don't know who the other one is we have some speculation maybe Zerubbabel nevertheless there's things in scripture but we know for sure since we have the the prophecy in Malachi that one of these two will be Elijah, the prophet, that will come before the Lamb of God that comes with the 144,000 to come right before God destroys the world. And you can better believe this. When God says something in the Word, it will happen. I said that last week, and I like just like to say it. When God says something in the Word, it's going to happen. But again, easy on them a little bit. They didn't have all that info. Info. And the Jews were taught only the understanding of the ruling and reigning Christ. They were only taught that the Messiah was going to come, reign over the world, and be in charge and large and all that stuff, and they were, they were going to reign with him. And boy, who wouldn't want to believe that, as I said earlier? That sure is a wonderful doctrine to have. It really makes my flesh feel good. Whoa, the Messiah, he's going to come, he's going to rule, and he's going to reign, and everything is going to be great. That's awesome. Wow. Well, just, a, just a Bible warning out there for you, if you're listening online and listening here. Whenever a doctrine feels too good for your flesh, be forewarned, because... The Bible says that it's hard to be a disciple, and you know there are blessings in there, but there's a lot of hardship too for Christians and for followers of God. And the Bible says that those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So whenever a doctrine, any doctrine that you may hear, may sound too good, you know, oh wow, that really makes my flesh feel good, then you know, be forewarned, it, it may not be biblical. 
So I hope we settled this confusion with you anyway, if you had any. And uh, for them, I don't know if they did because they didn't really comment on us. So I hope I settled it for you guys, this confusion we had. Was Elijah going to come back before Christ? Because he technically didn't. This is a future event that happens right before God destroys the world. And it will happen, it's just, just not yet. So what about verse 12, where Jesus says that Elijah had already come? And they did to him whatever they wanted. What in the world is he talking about? He just said that he's going to come. But now verse 12, he says, but he has come already. And they did to him whatever they wanted to do. Well, the disciples got it right away. Read verse 13. Uh, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Now, what? John the Baptist? His name was John the Baptist. It wasn't Elijah. Well, I believe here that they understood what G, who Jesus was talking about just because of the description that he gave of this man called Elijah. I believe that he was talking to them about John the Baptist only because they knew John's life, John's death, how they treated him, how he suffered, and how he died on, you know, under a wicked man. I believe that that's kind of how they knew it. But I have a strong feeling, just an unction, that they really didn't know... All, like in depth. They really didn't know the depth of what Jesus said. I, but I, I just have a hunch. Why? Well, the disciples, as I just spoke on, did not have all the scriptures like we do now. They did not have a New Testament. Early on when Christ came and he had all the accounts and he did all these amazing things and his disciples followed him, they had word of mouth. It was all, initially the, the, the gospels, all the things of Jesus were all just verbally transmitted. It wasn't until a, a good number of years after Christ died and after he ascended that they actually started to write down all the different things that Christ did, all the things that the Holy Spirit brought back to their mind. But we do. We have all the scriptures and we can, you know, we can investigate this little, you know, what do you mean Elijah came before Jesus, but we don't have a recording of it and Jesus said it here. We can investigate that. We're going to look at what Jesus Christ says about how Elijah had come already and how he was John the Baptist, as well as another prophecy that will help us clear this up. There was another prophecy that the, that the scriptures talked about that was somebody coming and he was a forerunner to the Christ. He was a forerunner, somebody that was going to come, and I'm going to read to you about him here. Isaiah 40, 1 through 5, this forerunner. Let's listen to the description of this forerunner. Comfort, yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity, her iniquity or sin is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, just pointing out this, this detail here. Very clearly here, this prophecy is talking about a man that was going to come and pave the way for the Messiah. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, a, a, a des make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's clear there also in verses 1 and 2 that the Messiah wasn't going to come to destroy the world at this coming, but to bring what? Verses 1 and 2, comfort, yes. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. So you can see here, again, this is another forerunner, and this is another what? It's another description of what the Christ was going to do when he came. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. So you can see here that there's a stark contrast between Malachi, he's, Elijah's coming in the great and dreadful day of the Lord, versus here, uh, this comfort that I, this forerunner is going to tell us about, this Christ is going to tell us about in Isaiah chapter 40, who is coming, the, the forerunner was coming to prepare the way of the Lord so he could bring comfort to his people. You see there how the scripture speaks about a gray and dreadful day of the Lord and also speaks about a wonderful day where God's going to bring comfort to his people and love and acceptance and peace. And we see that right there in scripture. The only thing is about that is notice in Isaiah 40, God doesn't mention a name there. God doesn't say Elijah or John the Baptist or, you know, so on and so forth. He does not give a name, but that's okay because we'll get it. I think it's uh, Proverbs 25 says that the way of the Lord is to hide a matter, but the way of a king is to search out 
the matter of God. So we're, let's try to be like them you know, now and try to find out who we can see this is going to be. Now, who in the New Testament matches the description of the forerunner in Isaiah 40? Let's see. Voice in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, he's your God. Every valley, and, every valley should be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. This is like a preaching of repentance. This is like a preaching of come back to the Lord. I'm making everything straight. God's, God's coming. Get your lives right. God's coming. Be careful because this God is coming. He's speaking comfort, but get right with God. I see a powerful preacher here and I, I see a call to repentance. So who could this be? Well, the Bible tells us. Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, verses 2 through 4. As is written in the, in the prophets, Mark tells us the same we just read. Behold, I will send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And right then, right there, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. I think we got it. I think the Bible talks about John's preaching and it looks like exactly like that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40. It sounds like we got the man. John preached this way. John, you know, was a man like Elijah, in fact. God, you know, God made John the Baptist and Elijah a lot alike. They both were very strong preachers. They were both very awesome, powerful men of God. But there's only one question. Why did Jesus call John the Baptist Elijah? Why? I'm, you know, that, that's a little bit, that's, that's one there, you know, was this a reincarnation of, of Elijah? You know, does the Bible talk about reincarnation? Absolutely not. The Bible says nothing about any kind of reincarnation. In fact, the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. So why did Jesus call John the Baptist Elijah? Well, we find the answer from an angel, actually, that came to a man named Zacharias in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, he gives this man, Zacharias, some good news. See, there, were, there was a couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And they were John the Baptist's mother and father. But there was a problem. Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have any children. So, you know, she was praying. Zacharias was praying. They were hoping in God. God, please send us a child. We just want a child. Help my, my wife get, you know, get pregnant. We just want a baby. So listen to the good news that this angel gives Zacharias, and we'll see here why Jesus referred to John the Baptist as Elijah. Luke 1, 13 and 13 through 17. But the angel said to him, because he comes to Zacharias, and he says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. He will also go before him. Now notice in Luke there, that's a capital H if you're reading along. He will go before him. Well, that's representing God or the Christ. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Looks like we have our winner. Looks like John the Baptist is indeed who Jesus was referring to here in Matthew 17, 12. John the Baptist was in essence a man like Elijah. And how was he like him? In spirit and power, not in reincarnation or not in, you know, God sent Elijah back and Elijah's going to come back twice. No, it was the same power and spirit that Elijah had come in. Jesus wasn't literally saying that John the Baptist was Elijah. He was using what we call figurative language to help the disciples see how the two were similar. Now, just a warning, just a warning as you're reading your Bibles out there, as you're listening to me, you better be going, whoa, Pastor Ed, you better put on your brakes. I don't like it when I hear that saying figurative language. Well, many in our day, if you don't know this, many in our day claim that everything Jesus says was figurative. Well, that is not true. Jesus only used some figurative language, and when he does use figurative language, and in case you don't know what that means, it means that he gives them a figure, but it's not an actual, literal what it really means. It's a figurative. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of like, here's what it looks like, but this is not, you know, like in essence. 
John the Baptist is not really Elijah, but he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah, so he's going to be like Elijah. But that didn't sound very good. So Jesus just said, Elijah has come already, meaning John the Baptist has come already, and they did to him whatever they wanted. So just be careful when you hear people say, oh, everything Jesus said was figurative, and oh, everything Jesus said was a parable. Because if Jesus only gave parables and he only gave figurative language, then we can't ever just know which one is which unless the Bible were to tell us, like it does here. And then we get into a dangerous situation where we can just make up anything we want about whatever Jesus said, and we can interpret it any way we want. You always have to interpret the Bible by the Bible. You always have to interpret the Bible by context, contextually. What does the context say? What is the context of the whole Word of God say? Not, I'm going to hear what he said one time here, and I'm just going to just, oh, it's just figurative. I don't like what it says, because that's what you'll hear. People, then they hear things about Jesus and they, they say, oh, I don't, man, that, oh, I don't like that one. Jesus spoke about hell a lot. And a lot of people say, oh, that was just an analogy. Oh, that was just figurative language. Jesus didn't, that, there's no real hell. I've heard that one before. There's no real hell. Jesus was just, you know, kind of telling people a good story. Well, no, most of what he said was plain language. He did speak some things figuratively, but most of what he said was real deal. It was exactly what he meant is exactly what he said. So just a warning. So, in closing, I hope that we were able to clear up, you know, anything, if anybody had any confusion, if anybody was like, well, I don't understand what he means. I hope that I was able to do a good explanation, give you guys a good explanation of what the scripture meant. But I can assure you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah because of prophecy. So there could be no confusion there. The Bible talks about what the Messiah would do, and Jesus Christ fulfilled it. For instance, that uh, all the prophecies that we read today, you know, the acceptable year of the Lord, and He would come to, to, you know, to heal the sick and to give the blind you know, sight and to, you know, to raise people from the dead. And to Christ, the Messiah that was going to come, that was supposed to do all that, Jesus did it all. Jesus absolutely met every single qualification for the Messiah. He came, He healed, He uh, raised the dead, He gave sight to the blind, He rose Himself from the dead on the third day, which also fulfills Scripture. So we can know for sure that Christ is the true Messiah, that He is the true Christ. And prophecy is one way that you know, tells us that we can know that for sure. If you're wondering about it yourself, please go yourself into the scriptures and look and just Google. For We're the most technological and we're the most information age in the whole world. And if you're listening to me, well, what prophecies did Christ, you know, what prophecies did you know, Jesus fulfill? Well, you can go to the Bible and you can look to the old and to the new. And there's website after website after website after website that talks about all the prophecies that he fulfilled. And you could be assured for yourself and you could have no doubts that he, well, who he said he was, he is. Now, if you're already convinced that he is, but you're not living a daily life of hearing him, you're not living a daily life of obeying him, which is what God said to us in Matthew 17, I believe it was 5. Suddenly a voice came, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, hear him. And we talked about how that meant you know, making a decision to follow Christ and to hear Him and to obey His words. We talked about that last week. Mention it again here. If you're convinced that He is who He is, but you're not making a daily decision to follow Him, He tells us in Matthew 16, 25, whoever desires to save his life or his earthly life will lose it because you're going to lose your life in eternity if you want to save your life now. You can live for yourself now, but you'll lose your life in eternity. But He says the flip side. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is that? You're going to find eternal life. You lose your life now to Him. You surrender to Him. You'll find your life anew in eternity. If you're having trouble making the decision to surrender your life to Him, just remember what I spoke about today, please. Jesus, Jesus Christ was God's grace, God's gift, God's salvation to all mankind. He came. He loved he loved, he showed love like nobody had ever shown love before, ever. He came, he gave his life for you. He could touch you right now, and he's so good, and he loves you so much. And if you want, he invites you right now. I'll read the words again so you can be assured. Listen to the words again, Matthew 11, 28-30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says to you right now, if you realize I'm not living right for God, I'm not living in God's graces, I'm not listening to Jesus, I'm not hearing Him, I'm, I'm disregarding His words, I know them, but I'm just not there. He says now, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And are you weary and burdened today? Come to Him. Cry out to Him in your heart. Go home. Get on your knees. Cry out to God and say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Here's my life. I want to surrender it. I want to lose my life for your sake so I can get it in eternity because I sure want to have eternal life with you forever. Remember that picture I showed you, Jesus holding the man with the, you know, just in his arms and the, the sinner is just passed out because he's found what? He's found the Prince of Peace. He's found, I don't have to work to be righteous anymore. You can't work to be good enough for God. For the Bible says that all our works are as filthy rags before God. They're all dirty. We can't work to be good enough for God. All we can do is admit that we're wrong and come and fall in His arms and surrender to His authority and His Lordship over our lives and stop living for ourselves and start living for Him. So I encourage you, if you haven't made that decision, please come today. Please come. Surrender today because He loves you and He's, He's calling you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to Him today because God loves you very, very much. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much, and the Lord, of all the different things we looked at in Scripture and how we understood all the things that you told us today, Lord. I pray that if anybody didn't, Lord God, they would even contact me. My, my number and my information is all right there, Lord. I'd love to have a conversation. I'd love to talk about how Jesus Christ fulfilled prophecy and how this is what he meant. And, and he was the Messiah, even though the literal Elijah did not come before him, Lord. I, I just pray that... All that wisdom and all that understanding was given to all of those listening right now, Lord God. I just thank you for your word because you make it so clear, but we do have to dig, Lord. Your word says, seek and you shall find. Jesus, you told us that. Seek and we shall find. And Lord, I, I know that we sook you today and I know that we sook the scriptures. And I believe, Lord God, that we have exactly what your heart was in the scripture. And I just thank you for your call, for your draw on people, Lord God, for your you're knocking on the door of people's hearts and saying, come to me. I want you and I, you know you need me. So just, Lord, I just pray you'd call them and that they'd come. Whoever may be listening that's just not there. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your message and thank you for your love and thank you for your grace that you poured out upon all mankind. Bless you and thank you and praise you. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.